Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership. Thanks again for being a part of the conversation. Thank you for just engaging what we get to talk about. All these great people we get to have on. I'm Phil Dark, your host, and with me is my brother. And we just actually got to hang out in person recently. Paul Jobson. Paul, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, so I'm just have recovered from the uh, from the convention. Yeah, man, it was good to to hang out face to face. I think we realized what had been had it been two had it been two years since we'd seen each other in person. I think we figured out since the last convention, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So crazy. So it was good to catch up, hang out a little bit where we could, and talk to some folks together too. I think people seeing us together might have been a little odd for some people, also. So I mean, two really good looking guys together. We drew a lot of attention. We really exactly. Did. It was, it was, it was kind of weird. It was kind of weird. We had, I think we sh- probably should have had the security detail that the Fox sports team had. Cause I think that yeah. that's probably what it, what it was like. I mean, people were probably wondering why we didn't have that security detail when we were walking around. That was probably yeah, the I most think strange it, thing. I think it worked out well because we were too accessible. So people were like, there's something going on. They're too accessible. Yeah. We probably should back off. So, yeah. but it was a good, it was a great event. It's, I think the West coast is interesting because it's, I think it's a little less attended than normal, maybe because it's harder for the East Coast folks to get over there, but um, the weather was great. I definitely enjoyed that because when I came back, you know, the Waco weather report that we had to do every time is it was cold. So I, I enjoyed the warmer weather in California for sure. You guys are spoiled uh, with your warm weather. And by warm, it was actually kind of chilly. That's the kind of crazy thing. It was like, you know, right around 60, which, you know, yeah. people are going to think, wow, that's like balmy, warm weather for the winter. But <laughs> California, that, that people were in sweatshirts and and jeans at night you were you know bundling up a little bit yeah. it was it was you know i think it was they were expecting a little but it was definitely better than kansas city at five degrees so i'm that's, not going to complain about that when they had that wind chill and we were that's the last time we saw each other actually was yeah. that kansas city convention so you know it was a great convention i agree i think there was a lot of really great stuff you got you know folks out there you're going to get the benefit of that convention because this year we have a lot of people from that convention that will be on the show get to have great conversations with them. Actually, today's guest is one of those people who actually I talked with about being on the show before the convention. Um, Now we're getting to do it after he was able to speak at the FCA Leighton Shoemaker Breakfast. We had some other good conversations there. Uh, But today we have with us Ali. Ali Malaeke is the uh, pronunciation that we should be calling him by. But in America, we like to go uh, Malaeke. But, uh, you know, so whatever you call him, we're going with Ali and, uh, Ali, how you doing, man? Doing amazing, man. Just living in Southern California, living the dream and get to spend the morning with you guys and get much better. Yeah. You know, and so Ali, you, you've written a cool, you know, just a great book. It's called Veritas seven truths that lead to a purposeful life. We're going to get into that in a little bit. You work with FCA, uh, you're the coach of the head coach of the Orange County Seahorses women's team. Uh, you're just, as I was looking through your resume and as I was just kind of doing research, um, other than the conversations we had, I think what I saw is similar to myself. I think what you are is just coach. You're a coach in life and, and that's a, such a great thing, but, but how'd you get there? Just briefly share your story, uh, how you developed your passion for, for soccer, for coaching, for ministry leadership, and just, and really how'd you end up working with FCA and the seahorses? Absolutely. I guess the story starts 57 years ago, almost 58 years ago. I was born in the Middle East in Iran to a culturally Muslim family. Um, my father worked for the government. Family was pretty connected in, in, within the government circles. My great grandpa was a prime minister in Iran. My dad was an, ended up being an ambassador. My dad's uncle was a four-star general and married to the king's sister. And we got to travel the world growing up. I was six months old, I think, when we moved to Austria. Then we bounced to the U.S. for three years, went back to Iran for a year, then went lived in Milan for five years. And that's that's where the passion for soccer, I think, started really rolling. Um, we used to go to San Siro every two weeks to watch AC Milan, and I still, part part of my heart bleeds black and red, watch my, my AC Milan games every every, every Sunday, um, every every Sunday, every second Sunday, as often as I can to, to this day. Started, started playing, started playing when I was a little kid, had a trial at U10 with AC Milan and got unceremoniously cut at the end of the trial, even though I was the only person who scored a goal and got to play for another, another club in, in Milan called Criestina. 
lived there for five years, went back to Iran for a year. Father was appointed, appointed ambassador to Bulgaria. We lived there for about three to four months and the revolution happened. We became political refugees and moved to Austria. I went to American high school there, continued to play soccer on the streets in the high school, graduated from high school and, and then kind of hung out in Austria for three years. I just didn't want to do anything. I was comfortable living life. And after three years, all my friends that went to American high schools, they all bounced and came to the U.S. And I was kind of like, okay, I guess I need to come to the U.S. Went to Valparaiso University for a couple of years, transferred to University of Southern Indiana. And that's where I got a first taste of collegiate soccer. The head coach was brand new over there. His name is Tony Kolovecchia, uh, one of my biggest influences in my life. And he gave me an opportunity to truthfully, I, I, when I look back at it, I really don't think deserve. Um, I wasn't the fittest person. I hadn't played competitively for three years, but he saw something in me. And I remember the day he allowed me to be a part of that team. I remember walking back from practice and like, I want to do this. I, 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 there's, there's something in this that's amazing. I want to coach and I, I want, I still want to be in soccer. So continued playing through my college career and her coach, Tony said this out in the community to coach different high schools and, you know, varsity and JV and within the club system, just to kind of attract more fans. And I caught the coaching bug, graduated. Tony asked me to be his assistant there. I was assistant at University of Southern Indiana for three years. And then he got the head coaching job at University of Louisville and I went with him, got to start working at the division one level at the University of Louisville was, was at the Louis, at the University of Louisville for two years. And at the same time became the director of coaching of the Javanon soccer club, which at that time was the powerhouse out of the state of Kentucky, winning national championships and all that kind of fun stuff, uh, within the club, I lived in Louisville for six years. And then it was kind of starting getting old. Um, I'd done everything that I needed to do. I coached at, at the top high school. I was the director of coaching at service as state director of coaching for about eight, nine months. And had an opportunity to come to Southern California in 2002 when I packed my bags, came to Southern California and I stuck. It said it was a good stuck. It's been here since 2002. Started coaching right off the bat as soon as I came in. Got the opportunity to coaching with the Slammers for a couple of years, uh, with the SoCal Blues for 12 years. Got to serve 12 years at Vanguard University and a bunch of them as an associate head coach. And then about seven, eight years ago, transitioned into ministry, just fell, fell, felt the Lord bringing something in. And it's a longer story in that, that, that the game had become an idol in my life and something good I had turned into something not necessarily healthy for my heart. So transition into FCA and continue to coach for about, it been, been about eight years. I've been with FCA and continue to coach for about six years. And then two years ago, I just walked away from coaching altogether with everything that was on my plate. It was, it was the one thing that, that probably I could, I, I could take a step away from. Um, but yet at the same time, I was super involved with the Cal State Fulton women's program with Damian Brown. Uh, he's given me the, uh, the opportunity and the privilege to work with his, with his team as a mental performance and leadership coach. So on the fields, even the last two years, I haven't been coaching. I'm coaching people's minds. I'm coaching their hearts. I'm coaching their lives. And met with Cody Stoffer from the Seahorses probably about four months ago, five months ago. He had just moved into town. We just grabbed a cup of coffee, had a conversation. And he asked, gave me the opportunity to coach the women's team. So jump, just jump right back into it. And I just can't wait. We started mid-May and starting a program from scratch and just super excited about it. Yeah, that'll be super cool. Like I'm, I'm very excited what's going on with the seahorses, hopefully getting Cody on at some point, going to get Paul Gizzy, hopefully on Dave Irby. There's, there's several people from that program over the years. It's just such a great legacy that you're now getting even to walk into and get to start a new program there. That's, that's awesome. I just want to go back and you said there's a longer story to your kind of faith journey and I'd love to just hear that faith journey. Cause you don't usually hear a kid from Iran who was part of royalty to come and all of a sudden be working with FCA a couple decades later. So what is that story? It was pretty interesting. It was 2000, well, I actually started probably 1997. Um, I lost my dad. He passed away in January, 1997 and my mom died in November of 1997. And it sent me in, into a little bit of a spin or spinning out of control because I just couldn't find the purpose of life. And I'd lost my brother a long time ago. Everything that I knew I didn't have anymore. And I was looking at all the things that I was doing in my life. And it, it seemed like everything that I did was medicating some pain that I hadn't dealt with. So I just went on this spiritual journey for about six years, trying to look into different pain systems, trying to figure out how to purpose in life. Moved to Southern California in 2002 and in 2003. Uh, the guy who had asked me to move to Southern California asked me to move back to Kentucky. And I'm like, I'm, I'm good. I, it's, I like, I love Southern California 
And he basically said, I'm going to give you a pay cut from whatever you're making. You're going to get 66% cut off. You're going to live off one third of what you were making. So I was making probably like 36,000 or something like that working for him part time. So now I'm down to 12,000 a year and coaching soccer, which is about 800 bucks a month. So now I'm at $2,000 a month where rent is only $2,000 a month. Forget car payment, insurance, and anything else that comes with it. I'm sitting going, okay, there's, there's something has to be going on here. I mean, I couldn't figure out what to do. And, and I think that the, the side story on this is I was in the country without a visa for 16 years. So I couldn't just jump in and get a job just to make ends meet. And there was this guy that used to hang out at my soccer practice. Used to pick up cones, just, hey, Ali, what's going on? Just super friendly guy. So middle of the night, at 10 o'clock at night, I sent him an AOL instant message in November, 2003. And I explained my situation with him to him. And he's like, Ali, do you believe in God? And I'm like, yeah, I believe in God. He's like, do you believe that God's got a plan for your life? I'm like, 100% I do. He's like, do you believe in the God in the Bible? I'm like, absolutely not. Don't you know I'm Iranian? My parents were Muslims. I'm going on and on and on. He's like, let me ask you this, Ali. Do you want to know God? Do you want to know who God is? I'm like, for sure I do. He's like, pray this prayer. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And I felt I can pray that prayer. It was safe. It wasn't committal. Prayed the prayer, said, said goodnight to Kenny and on, on AOL and Went to bed, woke up the next day, went to practice at the end of the day. When I got in my car, I sat down in the car and I was like, there's two books on my car seat. And I pull, pull them out. The, one's, the one book called Every Man's God's Man by Kenny Luck. And I turned the back of it. And I was like, wait, Kenny Luck is the guy that I was talking to last night. And in the mm -hmm. back of it, it says, Kenny Luck, award-winning author, men's pastor at Saddleback Church. And he's just this, this whole resume. And I'm sitting going, what am I doing getting advice from a pastor? Because that's, that, that's the furthest thing in my life. And I looked at the other one is like purpose driven life by Rick Warren. And I'm like, well, I don't have no idea who this guy is. So I called Kenny up and, and I was like, Kenny, what is this? You're an author. Why is your book in my car? He starts laughing. He's like, he's like, don't worry about it. I know you love to read. Just read the books. No problem. Drove back and I started reading Every Man's God's Man. And, and few God started working in my heart because it was, it was a picture of a worldly man. And I saw myself in that and a picture of an oddly man. And looking back at my life, it's that, that's who I wanted to be. That's the kind of man I wanted to be. But I finished that book and it was, it was just, everything was percolating inside my heart and picked up the purpose-driven life and started going through that process. And I believe that's when the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of my heart. And, and, and I got to taste God's grace to just understanding that I was created by God for God. And he's perfect and I'm not. And I don't deserve to be in relationship with him. But yet he loved me so much that he sent a son to die for me. And there's nothing I can do to cross that bridge, but it's God that built that bridge and sent his son over. And with, by the fact of him dying, getting buried and rising again, that if I believe in that and confess him as Lord, it can be a relationship with father. I remember sitting there, it was like early December, 2003. It was probably 10 o'clock at night. I just finished the book. I put it down. I'm like, if this is true, I have no other option than follow this Jesus guy, even though I have no idea where the beginning of the Bible is, the back of the Bible is, I, I, I turning my back to my family, by turning back to my culture. It's like, but if this is true, I have no other choice than following Jesus. Made that decision that night, went to bed, woke up the next morning, called Kenny, and he just starts freaking out, all excited. It's like, yeah, come on, let's go. Let's do it. It's just a decision. It's not a big deal. But the crazy thing was, I have lived about 20 years of, of a hyper hedonistic lifestyle. Well, it was all about this guy. It was all about drinking and, and partying and all that kind of stuff. I got sober that night, Phil. My, 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 my tendency on things outside to bring, bring me joy disappeared like this. I experienced a miracle that night. And, and that's when the, that's when the journey with Jesus started. It was December, 2000. That's so awesome. There's so much more, you know, to that story. So much more. I'd love to, you know, get into. Uh, we got more other things to get into, but it's so cool to hear about just how, you know, a simple conversation 
can lead to so much, right? You know, and I think that goes for all of us to just say, you know, don't underestimate what a little conversation can have with somebody, right? You know, and that, that's something that, that I love here. And it's funny too, because my mom and dad went to Saddleback Church for a long time. I grew up in Mission Viejo, so it's right there and it's in the backyard. And then I guess Kenny, Kenny Luck then moved to Crossline Church. My dad was at Crossline Church. So, you know, got to know, got to know him a little bit too. So great, great men. Those books are fantastic. And they, you know, I, I am so, just so encouraged by that. So encouraged by that. Paul, what do you got? I I love that too. Just, just his, you know, how you first met it too, that he just seemed like somebody just kind of serving, just kind of sit in the background. And then next thing you know, he's, he's impacting lives. And I think it goes to show just even from a coaching perspective, you know, the impact we can make just from a service, a service mind. And I think what I, what I love about your story that leads kind of this next question. We talk about somebody's why, right? And just through, just through that, how your why in life probably changed from, you know, in that moment, your why changed, right? It changed your entire life, the whole trajectory of your life. But now with the things that you're doing, and we'll, we can talk about the book and things like that, but now with what you're doing, what, what would you say is your, your, your personal why? What is your life, life purpose, your life purpose? And how, how do you feel you like you're living that out? Absolutely. I'll be honest with you. I didn't live out my life purpose within the context of soccer for a long time because that stayed a little bit of an idol in my life. My, my, my why is, is, I think, pretty simple. It's, it's to inspire people to find their purpose and empower them to live a full life. And their purpose being inspiring people to take a look at God, to, to, to experience Jesus. Um, and then once that relationship starts, is to walk with them and help them grow their faith so they can live the full and abundant life that Jesus promised them. And I, and I get to do that literally when I, when I live my life through that lens. Just, there's just so much fullness and joy in, in, in it because I'm truthfully living out my purpose in life. And then soccer becomes fun again. Because when, when I wasn't living my purpose and soccer weren't aligned in the same, same view, um, the soccer part was times was sucking the life out of me because I was still looking for affirmation for people. It was, it was more about getting kids into college. It was more about making sure the parents are happy. It was more about making sure the kids in a mouse to the next club. It was, it was about, about, about winning. It's about hey, make, making sure everyone knows that I'm, I, I'm the Christian guy. I'm the Christian coach. And yet we can still win, but it wasn't healthy because I wasn't inspiring people to find a purpose. I wasn't fi- inspiring my, pl- my players to find a purpose in, in, in the midst of that, especially on game day. To say it was good. Game day was it was it was a little bit it was a little bit funky. Yeah, I I love that. You know, we ask that question. You know, basically every episode, right? And we all have a purpose and a why, but not everybody has the opportunity to write a book about it, right? If if it's about helping people find their purpose, you're like, that's that's my why. That's why I do what I do. How do I get this out into the world? And and you write a book, right? So I want to I want to talk a little bit about Veritas. Veritas: Seven Truths That Lead to a Purposeful Purposeful Life. Tell us what, you know, I feel like, I feel like we may kind of know what inspired you to write the book, but tell us about th- just the concept behind it. Tell us about, about the book and how it's helping people to lead that pur- purposeful life. How, how are you, tr- how are, it's a little unique even in, in how it's being communicated through the book. So take us through that a little bit. Absolutely. Um, tiny backstory. I got my degree in journalism in college. And I thought I would, I'd wasted the, the, the degree in journalism that I was never going to write anyway. And I had written 27 and <laughs> 36 some odd years. But about five, six years ago, I came across John Gordon's book, Training Camp. And when I read that, the way he had written the fable made the principles that he was sharing in that book come alive. That, that made a huge impression in my life. And I kept reading more of his books, Energy Bus, and on and on and on and on. And every time I picked up one of those books, it was a very real way the story made the principles come come alive so keep that on, on one side the others other other part of it wasn't the, the fact the fact that you know working with club club players between the ages of 15 and, and, and 18 often and even even in college i realized that there was a problem and the problem was that as soon as the kid decides to go to college as soon as they signed the national letter of intent the performance drops I was racking my brains for years trying to figure out what it was. And I realized that the only thing they played for was getting into college. They had achieved their goal. They had a goal. They had a vision. They had a dream for their life. And once they achieved it, 
because there was nothing after it, there was a problem. They started dropping. And then when I started hanging out with college age group kids, I realized the same thing that as soon as they got to their senior year, when they played their last game and they were done, they hit this lull in their life. It's like, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what else I'm, I'm, I'm going to do anymore with, with my life. And over the last five, six years, I've taken a deep dive and met performance and leadership before, leadership and life coaching and all that kind of fun stuff. I realized that the lack of vision, a lack of a longer term vision for somebody is the biggest issue. And I started looking through all, of the, all of my books that I've read and all the research that I've done and all the certifications that I've gone through. And I've landed on these seven truths that if we choose to live our lives with these seven truths, the concept of vision, what it is that, what, what it is that you want to accomplish in life, why you want to accomplish it, when do you want to accomplish it? And that's when a dream becomes actually a, 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 a goal in your life. How are you going to accomplish it and be purposeful in the way we live it out? When we do that, and then we choose to live by, by a set of excellent habits. And we surround ourselves with friends, with family, with, with, with relationships that are true. When we live a life of integrity, when we recognize that it's not always a, a, a journey that, that's going to, in, in a stress, straight line journey, that's going to get me from where I am to where I want to be, that there's going to be ups and downs, that I've got to trust the process, that, that if I take a stronger look at myself, and we talk about having a scouting report on myself, as, as a coach, I always have a scouting report on my opponents, but do I have a scouting report on myself as a man? What are the things that I'm doing well? What are the things that I need to grow in? And take an honest assessment on myself and then look around myself and says, what is it in my life that's stopping me from helping, help, helping me get to where I want to go? And then finally, the concept of sacrifice. What is, what is it, what's good in my life that I need to say no to so I can say yes to the excellent? And that's what I had to do two years ago when I walked away from coaching club soccer, which is something that was very good. But that good thing was taken away from what was most important in my life. And that was my relationship with my father, my relationship with my beautiful bride. And the work that I did with the ministry, I have to say no, I have to sacrifice, say, say no to the coaching so I can say yes to that. And I was looking at these principles and I was kind of putting them around and then I was like, and, and I love truth because Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me. And, and having been raised overseas, there's this overseas, there's this always this thing about foreign languages. And I, I took one year of Latin when I was in seventh grade and the, the word veritas was powerful to me because that is the truth. And I looked at those seven principles and I looked at, I looked at the board Veritas and I'm like, hey, wait, 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 this works there and that works there and that works there. It's like, well, there we go. We got a word that, that I choose to live by and we got seven principles that have applied on a regular basis that allows me to live my life purposefully towards the goal that I want to go. Doesn't guarantee me getting there, but it definitely gives me the best chance to get there. Yeah, I... Uh... Love the book. I know mean, we got everyone who went to that FCA breakfast got a copy of it, and I really hope they read it. I mean, they you can sit down. The great thing about the book, and we talked about this before we started recording. The great thing I love, one of the things I love about the book, I'm saying the great thing. There's a lot of great things about the book. One of the things I loved about the book is its simplicity. This the story is is simple. The the principles are simple. You can read it in a, one sitting if you wanted to, but there's so much to it. It's simple yet complex. It's simple, but it's not easy, right? Which is what I love too. You have the, the, the guide, you can work through these principles that hopefully the people do and they take the time to go through them and really, you know, start going, what does this mean? What does this look like in my life and being honest with themselves? And, and we'll get into some of that here in a little bit. I just think about my 12 year old son. I think about the, the players at, you know, Colorado State and some of these other schools that I'm working with and thinking, man, these are, it's something that we could go through in a couple of days with them that then they could work through the rest of the semester. It's, it's such a, such a good thing. And, and I love how it, it brought into focus some of the things and my 12 year old could read this book and actually get it. That's what I love about it too. So with that, I want to get into a little bit, you know, there's so much to it. Folks, grab the book. We will have the book, the link to Ali's website where you can get the book. And we'll have that in the show notes. So please go there to, to, to check it out and, and get a copy of this book because it's something that will help you. If you're listening to this podcast, no doubt it will help you and it will be something that you want to work through. And then if you want to reach out to Ollie, maybe he can help you, help you through it a bit more if you're you know, your coach and, and want to go through it with him. He, he definitely does that with teams. But I want to go through some of the, 
just there's a few quotes in the book I just want to run through with you to go a little deeper into those principles that you talked about. One of the things I love about the the book is that 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 I the Veritas I do love that acronym. The fact that it's not just a random acronym. The fact that it actually plays right into everything that you're doing and everything you're about. And the idea of trust. You know, we talk about even the base of the pyramid. Of, you know, of the uh, healthy relationships for uh, for Patrick Lencioni also has trust at the base. Without trust, everything falls. Um, you talk about that in the book, and we've talked about that. A decent amount on the podcast. I want to get into some other things here that you talked about. One thing you said in there, and you you alluded to it here earlier in the conversation, is this quote is, one thing I've learned is to hold the plan, the vision that you talked about, with open hands. Because things will happen that are out of your control. And you may have to change course while still pursuing your goal. Can you get into that a little bit? Because as you talked about, there are so many people listening to this whether it's a, a player who's in high school now just having that vision of college. And I, I, with you, would encourage them to have it be bigger than that and more than that because that's something that's so um, unfulfilling at the end of the day when you get there and you're like, oh, is this it? If, if it's anything that is that, that's not bigger than yourself, basically, it's, it's, it's probably too small. But can you get into that, that idea of open-handedness? Because that's something I know I've dealt with in my life a lot as well. Anytime anyone does anything of significance, I think you realize there's going to be some, some setbacks and sometimes change of plans altogether. And so to hold it with open-handedness, can you speak to that? Absolutely. I've noticed that I, I can say this from my own life, looking back at it and, and you know, I, I believe it's an epidemic right now is fear stops us from pursuing great dreams and great goals. Um, the, the, the fear of failure. Um, the fear of rejection, the fear of letting other people down. And we want certainty before we start on a journey. But the reality is you can't, you, you, you have no, you never have certainty of where you're going. If I'm, if I'm going to go on a trip on a vacation to Hawaii, there is not a hundred percent certainty that I'm going to get there. Because the reality is there could be a storm that's going to divert me and, and land me somewhere else. So. I can only do what I can do. The only things that I, I can control are what I can control. Things out, I have zero control over. So as, as I pursue what it is that I want to pursue, I open up my hands, I put, put that goal in my hand and I, and I keep it in front of me so my eyes are on it and I go, go at it as hard as I can. But if something comes up and this changes and something else comes on it, I'm going to be okay with it because I'm not holding on to it. Or we're talking about change, change of directions and I'm holding something super, super tight. And then there's a, something changes in my life. I'd move tragedy, whatever it may be. It changes. If I'm holding on tight on this, there's no way I can go in a different direction. I can't go in the direction the Lord may be leading me to. So when I hold this dream, hold this goal open, with open hands and pursue it wholeheartedly, when anything comes up, if there's a change of plan, if there's a change of course, I'm going to be totally okay dropping it or picking up whatever, what, 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 with whatever else is in store. I'm not, I'll just share, share a simple example. S probably 17 years ago, I was reading scripture and it says, God instills governments governments and those laws, and we got, we're supposed to be obedient in the laws of the country. And I realized that I'm in this country legally, that I got a pack, that I've got no right being here, even though I'm doing good, I'm, I'm, I'm paying my tax, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm here against the law. My dream had always been to be a college coach. My dream had always been to coach in the U.S. My dream has always been to live and die in the U.S. because this, is, this, this, this was it. But I looked at scripture and I'm like, this is what I want. But this is what scripture says. I let that dream go. Sold everything. Took off to Kentucky. I was actually going to move to Trinidad to start a soccer ministry there. I had a guy who what, donated some land for me to have a soccer ministry. I met a pastor who was going to come help me with, with that. And I met a, another guy who was going to give me the, uh, in, 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 a, in a soccer club that was going to get me a visa to go into Trinidad. So I'm like, this is awesome. Okay, that, that dream of li living in the U.S., the window. Trinidad, we go. One month, 
after I landed in, in Louisville, Kentucky, as I'm doing my final preparations, now I've met my, that point, I met my wife face to face. I meet, I meet her and fall in love with her. And I'm like, I don't care. I've got to go to Trinidad. That's God's calling on my life. I love you. You're awesome, but I've got to go. Two weeks after that, the guy who was in Trinidad was supposed to give me the visa to go there to start the ministry where we had that land donated and everything set up falls off the face of the earth and I can't get a visa to go to Trinidad. So now that dream, if I held that too tight, I would have been losing my mind. That falls down. Live in Louisville for six, seven months. Fast forward to 2000, that was mid 2006, January 2007, I, I proposed to my bride. 16 years, one month and 29 days ago, we say yes to each other in Chicago, we get married. And now I actually get to live that original dream that I had, even though that dream I had, I was with an open head and it was taken away. And then another dream came in, that fell away. And then this one came back in, I get to do it, that's what I'm loving. But at any point where I look back at my life, if I was holding too tight on those, I would have been spinning myself out of control. I would have started making decisions based on survival, based on comfort, based on worldly knowledge. But when I was able to op open my hands with it, I got to taste something that I probably wouldn't have tasted if, the, if that grip was super tight. That's good. That's so good. And that, that's something I think a lot of people probably need to hear. Because whether it's injuries, whether it's just, you know, the coach doesn't like you, you know, whether it's just you're not, you're not content anymore. You know, I just remember a, a, a good friend, his daughter got an injury and soccer was everything at that moment. And in that injury, she wasn't able to play for a while and realized the calling was different. And now she's leading FCA at her high school and just killing it with so many cool things that God has for her that may have never seen if she just held on to that soccer as the only thing. Right. And so love that. Love that. Love hearing that. The other, the, one of the other ones that, that I loved hearing, and I've, and I've, I actually just talked to my wife about this a couple months ago, because we have actually a teacup that was broken and it was put back together with, with gold. And it's this idea, this concept of kintsugi. It's a Japanese concept and, and it relates to integrity. The integrity chapters where you had that in the book. Can you just speak to what that is and how it relates to all this that we're talking about? Absolutely. Long, long time ago, I learned that one of the, the root of the word integrity actually comes from pottery. And when a vase is an absolute perfect, perfect condition, it has integrity. But yet, if there's a crack in it, it does. And I also realized that when I go shopping, when I buy something, I want something that's in perfect condition. Um, if there's got something's got a snag on it, when I come home and there's a snag on it, I'm, I'm like, I go straight back. I'm like, yeah, there's a problem with this. I don't want this. And it's a picture perfect of, of who we are as people. People trust people who have integrity. If I'm like live a life of dishonesty and I have a consistent liar, there is no trust in me. So who I am is based on my character. So that, that, that's one part of the equation. But then there's the other part of the equation that, that the reality is, is that we're not perfect. We fall on our faces all the time. We make poor decisions, sometimes willfully, sometimes unwillfully. And, and we trust a God that is so good. He's a God of grace. He's a God of forgiveness. And that when we're honest and we come to the Father and say, Father, that was not the best idea. Father, forgive me. In that moment, there's, there's restoration in the heart. That's when his grace is, 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 is that gold that helps put our character back together. And when we were vulnerable about that, when we're honest about that, when we raise our hands first to the father and then to others and say, hey, that, that was not a good decision by me, trust is built. I don't know how many times I've, I've had conversations with players on, 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 on teams where I'm like, hey, that, that, that's my bad. That, that, that's, that was a character flaw. The way I barked at that referee, that was just not honoring at all. Father, forgive me. And I ask for forgiveness for them. And, I, and, and, and in, the, in those moments, that gold fills in the cracks of my character. And as those cracks of character are, are filled with the gold, not only am I become, becoming more and more whole because of, the Father's, because of the Father's grace, 
but also people's look at me differently. They look at me with more trust. I become someone who's dependable. I become someone who's trustworthy. I'm, I'm, I'm become someone who, who they're willing to have serious conversations with and hard conversations with because they know that I'm about as full as I can be. Yeah. You know, I think that's so good because so often, I've, I mean, I remember hearing something that really stuck to me as a leader when someone said, hey, the people who are following you as, as when you're a leader, they know your flaws. They know your character issues. They know the things that are there. When you actually admit to them and apologize and ask for forgiveness, it strengthens that relationship and it builds more trust because they won't, like you said, they won't trust you if they know that and you don't own up to it. And it's, it's how we'd want someone to be with us. And so let's, why are we not doing that? And I love that idea that that goal makes it stronger, right? It's, it's stronger than it actually was before, which is crazy, you know, like, and that's because we are broken. We are depraved human beings that need that, the father's redemption of that Absolutely. and that healing. And that healing is the only way in our weakness, we become in our weakness. He is strong, right? That idea that that gold is the Lord coming in and strengthening us that we could never do. On. And I, it's such a powerful concept that is, is a visual of that, that, that I loved. Um, it is no, no, no thought on, on that field just kind of, kind of came to mind is if I can't be honest with myself, how can I, ex I can't, I'm not, I can't trust myself. How can I expect other people to trust me? So it starts again, goes back to the self-awareness part, right? If, if, if I see that flaw in my character, if I feel that I don't have integrity in an area, I need to be honest with myself first, then honest with my father. So out of the result of that, we get that pottery that's Absolutely. fixed with gold. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. One more thing I want to get into you and then we'll move on to a couple other questions. Man, I could, I could talk for hours about this book. I love it. I love it. So this idea of when we talked, you talked a little bit about this already, but when it comes to awareness, there are two areas to focus on. So it's the awareness, the A of Veritas, inward and outward. You talked about the inward a little bit already, that idea of the knowing yourself well. We talk about that all, all the time with DISC is to know yourself well is the starting point of so much in relation, so much in coaching, so much in leadership and have a detailed scattering resort report on yourself to be honest, to really do an internal you know, study of yourself and to be really honest and to understand how you're perceived by others too, because that's really important about it too. But this idea I want to talk about real quick is, is this idea of the outward, the external, and you, you use the analogy of the landmines. So the whole book is a father speaking to his son and teaching him. And so you talk about the father speaking to the son. And again, I thought of my, my relationship with my, my 12 year old and what I might've wished I would have done a little bit more with my 20 year old as we all do with our kids who are out of the house. But can you speak to that landmines concept? Because I think this speaks to something that a lot of people don't necessarily have that analogy for, but it, I thought it was so good. Can you speak to that? Absolutely. It, it's in, in, in the wars right now, you see a lot of terrorist organizations actually put mines underneath the road where you can't see what's going on. And, and, and you're walking innocently on this path and you step on a mine and it, it blows everything up. You have to be very intentional about those mine mines. There's, there's people that go out there with metal detectors and, and sniffing bomb dogs and all that kind of stuff to identify the mines so the troops can walk through safely. We have mines in our daily life on a regular basis, and, and they may look like as innocent as possible, but the reality is, is when we don't, when we're not hyper aware of where we're walking, who we're walking with, what are we doing? Those minds are going to derail us, have an opportunity to derail us from the place that we want to go. Scripture says the enemy is like a lion prowling. And it's always the picture of the discovery channel of that little Bambi sitting there drinking water by, by the lake and the lion kind of sneaking in and jumping in and prowling and getting it. Enemy at all points as followers of Christ. He, he, he's, he's truly doing everything possible to derail us, to do things for the glory of God. And I got to be looking around. I've got to be honest. I've got to be honest about the friendships that I have, the things that I do, the conversations that I'm having, that I'm not having, the decisions that I'm making. If are any of these things that I'm doing in my life on a daily basis that are on the outside, not on the inside, right? On the outside, are any of those things a danger to the place that I want to go?
And if they are, I need to defuse that landmine. Because otherwise, the, 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 the damage caused by that landmine, not only obviously it's going to in injure me, but there's a huge chance that there's a bunch of innocent people on the side suffer injuries as well. Shame on me for being so selfish and so, so short-sighted and living just in the moment, not looking around to see what it is that may derail me for what God has for yeah, and I love that. I loved in the book how it was, I think it was a video game. That was the example. And, and, it, and it talked about how, you know, the dad basically said, look, did you do that video game because you were hanging out with your buddies and just, just in the, the time of hanging out with your buddies, or were you doing that video game to delay what you needed to do to get closer to your vision? Was it something that you were procrastinating? Was it something that you were doing that in lieu of? something else, you know, and I think of, I think of so many examples to that. And I, that idea of collateral damage is huge too. We talk about that so much in our teams and Paul, you can probably relate with this, but this idea of, Hey, when you are doing these things that are taking you away from your best, you're not only hurting yourself, but you're hurting your teammates who are depending on you to do the things that you need to do to do your best as you're depending on them to do their best. This is a constant conversation in all of our teams, I imagine because we see people not giving their best and they think, well, it's just, it's just me. Well, it's not just you because you have people around you, whether you're on a formal team or not, you're on teams in your life. And so anyway, Paul, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, Ali, I appreciate, you know, just sharing so much about the book and I just highly would recommend, like Phil said, it'll be, there'll be a link, you know, in the show notes to, to, to get folks to that. But yeah, I mean, just that concept of, uh, of the team, right. I, I think, you know, we talk about so many things that we learned through the game. And I think that team concept, even as it lends itself to family later, right? The team family and things like that. And how, you know, within your team, every, every, every decision you make affects someone else, whether it's a good decision, bad decision, whatever, every, everything has its, its consequence to it for sure. And, you know, I think to, to transition a little bit from the book and so much, there's so much more I know that still like a bread dive into just within the book itself, but there's so many other things that you, that you do that I want to tap into a little bit. I want to transition into, uh, the team, the, the Orange County, uh, seahorses that you're coaching. I want to like, just tap into that a little bit for some of our, our coaches and, and things within our community. Tell us a little bit about that program, the uniqueness of it, and, and some of the things that uh, you're desiring to do through that program as we use sport to, to make disciples as well. Absolutely. Seahorses, if people aren't aware of it, they're, they're, I guess, a sister organization with the Charlotte Eagles and the Chicago Eagles, the organization Orlando and St. Louis and, and Arizona. And the men's side has been a fate for the last 30 years. And the women's side is brand spanking new this year. And we get to c compete in w WPSL. And it's a program that's going to start probably mid-May. The dates aren't set yet, but I think it's like May 10th, May 15th. It's going to start right about there, right when everyone's coming out of college. And it's going to end in mid-July, just in time for everyone to head back off to college. The team's going to consist of about 30 women that compete at the collegiate level. They're most, probably 90, 95% of them are going to be Southern California-based people. I'm not necessarily attending colleges in Southern California, but maybe even you know, being at the University of Washington or, or being overseas and coming and just we're, we're home base in Southern California and we're going to get back to, we're going to get together and, and we're going to compete. We're going to, we, we're going to train with high, high level training because ultimately my, part of my responsibility is make sure, making sure that those players are at their best when they get back under college. But I think that the uniqueness of the seahorses is the intentionality mm -hmm. of coaching them in a way where they recognize that can be warriors for Christ on, 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 on the field. And they don't have to check their faith at the door before they walk into practice and then pick up their jacket and say, okay, now I'm a follower of Christ. It's like, actually you can be a follower of Christ and be a, just be a warrior in training at a game time. And how can you do that and lead people well? Um, and that leading people well is how can I serve my teammates in, in essence? How, how can I still be loving to my teammates? How can I love my opponents, but yet go battle for the glory of God? I want them to come out of this experience knowing that anytime anybody sees any of those young ladies play or practice, that they see something, there's something different about them. That they, it, it, that they marry having a warrior mentality with a soft heart of, 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 of love. 
And that's, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge because a lot of, a lot of these players, when, when they're off at the universities, they don't get that day in, day out. So it's an opportunity for them to recharge, but it's an opportunity for them to get equipped and empowered to truthfully live that out day in, day out on, on, on the college campus. Yeah, I love that. And, and Ali, I think it's, it's awesome you, you use the word warrior uh, so freely. And I don't know if you, you know, but my wife and I created an organization called Warrior Way a lot for that same mentality of what it means to be a warrior for Christ through, through sport and how you merge and marry those things. And for, for players to have an opportunity to, like you said, recharge, uh, to recenter maybe a little bit and, and, and take some truths and some, take some, some maybe new ways and knowledge and maybe even to even feel a, a, a group of support, right. To fall back onto as they go back into their their colleges and universities it may not, that may not be the norm there, but they can take that into, I think such a valuable, valuable thing that I know you mentioned some of the other programs across the country that are doing that, but to have more of those in other parts of the country, you know, like, like California is, is fantastic. So I love that you're leading the charge on that. I love how it's really use the word warrior, because I think that's such a, it's in my mind, obviously just such a, it, it depicts it very well of, of what it looks like of, of playing for uh, for something greater and representing something greater as you step onto the field. So I love, I love hearing that. And, you know, as you're, as you're, you know, pulling those, those players in, and, and like you said, you know, that some of them are probably either from, from California or they've landed there and it's, it's proximity and having a place to, to recharge and refresh in that, that time frame during the summer. And also, I mean, not to forget that the high level of, of soccer training, right? I mean, there's a big, big piece of that as well in that. So I love that, I love that you guys are stepping into that and that the women are, are, are now being served in that same capacity as the men were out there for so long. Yeah. You know, I, I love what the, the seahorses are doing so much great stuff. So much, like I said, legacy, as I said earlier on, and I no doubt that women's team will have tremendous impact because again, it's, it's playing at a high level, uh, with a different motivation, so to speak, than some might have, yeah, there still is that, Hey, we're going to win. But at the end of the day, what is that? You know, and I think in the, in the book, there's also a quote talking about, you know, you get to live your life from God's affirmation as his son, or in their case, as his daughter and not for people's affirmation. And that is, that's something that you get to teach in that context that isn't being taught elsewhere, which is so cool. And that audience of one concept is, is so critical because in life you're going to have critics. I think about a Manchester United fan. I think about all the Manchester United players who go there and don't do what they did elsewhere. It's a lot of that is they are going for man's affirmation and you don't get affirmed a whole lot when you're playing for those type teams. It's constant criticism from every direction. And so to be able to have that perspective is massive. So I, I look forward to seeing what you're going to be able to do with that team. And no doubt it will be, you know, like what the men's program has been able to do for years and years. So I'm very excited for that. I've got a few more questions for you. Uh, the, the, the first is, you know, what, what is a defining moment in your sports career as a player, really just as a soccer player, what is a defining moment that you have? What did you learn from it? I mean, why was it so impactful to you? Oof, I gotta go way back. Defining moment. It was my first year at Southern Indiana. I'd come in totally out of shape, but I had this dream at that point of playing at the collegiate level. None of my Friends believed that I could do it. And I knew that I had to do something to earn their trust, but also do something for the coach to see me and see that I've got something of value to bring to the table. There was a off season game against a smaller school and the coach gave me the opportunity to actually get on the field and play. Ball gets whipped out wide, comes across. I'm standing on top of the penalty box comes over my head and I turn around and I go up and I straight hit a bike and it, and I, and I wish I, I would say it was one of those Cristiano Ronaldo, Gareth Bale, that bicycle kicks that just pulling it up or 90, but it just, it got up somehow, hit it, it just went looping all the way to the far post and went over the goalkeeper's head and I had ended up scoring. I have no idea how it happened. I don't know why I did it. It was just one of those instinctual things. But that game and that event earned the trust from a lot of people. Not only some of my teammates and friends that are actually on the team and also going through the tryout process 
but also the coach, because he saw that, that I brought something to the table that was different. And I think it affirmed possibly, and I don't want to speak for him, that he affirmed that there was something different about me that probably other people didn't have. And he gave me an opportunity to join this team and in, in, in that event, um, changed the trajectory of my journey. I don't have a good game that day. I don't know if I'm back on the team. If I'm not asked back on the team, I don't know if I'm going to the community to coach in the future. If I'm not coaching in the community. I don't know if I start a 27 year career of coaching. So everything changed on that day for me. In the same, in the same regard, you know, just diving into your soccer, soccer career. Let's talk about coaches, right? I mean, as, as coaches, you know, we've been influenced by you know, so many different people throughout a career. Who, who was a coach that, that you played for that just made a, a massive impact on you? And, and what, are, what are some of the lessons you took from that that you incorporate into, into some of the own, your, your own things that you're doing now? Absolutely. There's two coaches that have made huge impacts in my life. One was in high school. It was there, actually a junior varsity coach. His name was Hans Suka. Super relational guy. Always about enjoying the process and enjoying the game. Practices were fun. They were very hard, but, but they were challenging. But there was always this sense of camaraderie and team. And I know he, he made an impact in my life. But, but without a shadow of a doubt, the biggest impact was my mentor, Tony Kovacchio. He's the one who gave me an opportunity to play at, at, at Southern Indiana when I didn't deserve it. And looking back at the way he coached, he expected a lot from everybody. He was never satisfied, but yet at the same time, he was never, he never attacked anybody personally. He, he always found a way to squeeze more out of us as a team. He took a team that was mid-table in the conference. I won the conference the first time, basically the same players the old, the old coach had, had, had given him. And, and he took the program for the next six, seven years and turned it into a national force at the Division II level. And then we moved to University of Louisville and he did the same thing at University of Louisville. He had this really uncanny ability to, to build relationships and friendships and trust with the players where they knew that if there was a bark coming out of him, it wasn't a personal attack. And that, that was probably the biggest takeaway from my time with him. Other than the X's and O's and all that kind of fun stuff that, that he, helped me, he helped me develop my identity in, as, as a soccer coach. But that relationships with your players far outweigh any results that come out with it. But it would, that when you invest in relationships, the results will come. Yeah, I mean, again, just to, just for our listeners' sake, just that common, I think I have to say this almost every time that it comes up, but it's that common theme from coaches of like, it is it's that relationship. You know, it's not the, it's not the X's and O's that come first, it's that relationship. And like you just said, that impacts the X's and O's and impacts the, sometimes the work ethic and work effort that you see on the, on the field, those relationships. I think I do see a tendency at times that the, the leaning away from relationship, which bothers me quite a bit, obviously, because that's, that's why we, at least why I got into what I was doing from a coaching perspective, kind of along the same, same lines, Ali, I mean, you've been in the game a long time. You've seen it from basically almost every angle as a, as a, as a player, as a coach who's impacted young players in preparation for the next level, college players for preparation for the next level. Take us through maybe some of the things that you've seen over the years, maybe the change, maybe some of the, maybe some of the things you like about where the game is right now in the U.S., maybe some things you think that we, we need to improve on. Great question. I love the fact that the quality of the game has increased exponentially over the last 36 years since I've, I've been coaching. I look back at the quality of players that, that, that I used to coach at the highest levels then compared to now, and it's not even comparable. So there's, there's a lot of joy in that to see from the men's side or the women's side. It's like, oh my goodness, we can play now. Because back back in the day when, when I used to live in Europe, we kind of looked at the U.S. as like, hey, 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 the American player, hey, hey, hey. they're just going to whack it and chase it. And they have no idea what they're doing. All they do is kick people. I was like, no, no, we play. We play. This It's, it's exciting. But that, that, that part's super, super exciting. Um, and I think that the, the commitment of, of a group of people, a group of coaches, are invested in developing themselves to become better. Not only with the X's and O's, where they, they're truly students of the game and, and, and thankfulness for, 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 for 
technology that we can watch games and get on YouTube and watch Pep's training sessions or watch some of training sessions and, and, and get better. So there, there's that part of it, but also that there's this other new set of coaches that I think are understanding that it's more than the X's and O's. That we're going back to the, the question that, that, that we had early on, that, that, that it's about the relationships and they actually want to get messy with their players. That the coaches that are trying to keep it hyper-professional and, and, and separate themselves from the relationships, I think there's a void in there. But, but you, you see so many coaches right now investing the lives of the players and recognizing that, like my mentor John Gordon says, that love tough is more important than tough love. I would have loved them first so I could be tough on them rather than be tough on them because they, because that shows how much I love them. And that, that population of coaches seems to be growing and there's a hunger of how to do that well. And being able to step into that space and help those coaches develop their skill sets on building relationships, that to me is super, super exciting. So level of talent and the coaches desire to grow is exciting. What's wrong? It, it's been in the youth game long enough to recognize that, that, that parents try to force, force feed their dreams into the kids' lives and not allowing the kids to own their dreams and their goals. To me, that's heartbreaking. It's, it's times where I wish they would instill COVID protocols and multiply it by two and in, instill a 12-foot space between each parent so they they don't they don't feed off each other's negative energy. They can there's right, energy is contagious. The same way positive energy is contagious, negative energy is contagious. And there's it's just there's this nastiness when you get half of people sitting in within a twenty yard line. And once one kid one pet starts barking, another one starts barking, and it just starts this infection on the sideline where the damage is caused on the kid. That that to me that to me is heartbreaking. And, and the other part is, is for the majority, for the majority of it is people not coming alongside athletes, especially in the youth game and helping them develop a bigger vision for their life, for the life in general, but also their soccer career, that, that, that it's not, that the goal isn't making varsity, it, it, that the ultimate goal, your identity isn't wrapped around playing in college or playing in varsity. That's your goal. Pursue it. But your identity should be wrapped in the way you're pursuing, not if you actually achieve it or not. It's it's the journey there that that creates who you become at the end of it, not if if you, if, you, if you make it to bed. And if that part of it was a little bit more intentional, I think you end up having a lot more healthier young men and young women coming out of their high schools and stepping into the, into the college game or the professional game at eighteen nineteen. Yeah, no, that's really good stuff, Ali. Appreciate you sharing and really leaning into that as you did. Yeah. I think that, that, that there's so much, you know, more to all those conversations and, you know, I, I, I agree. And I see that, I see that's why I think a lot of the players burn out and stop playing is because it wasn't their dream and vision. It was somebody else's, uh, or because they just say, you know what, it's just not worth it. It's just too much work. And this game becomes work to them without a vision and without more to it it's what's the why and they lack the why so much of it and so many people lack the why in their life so i think to be able to learn that through the game is such a huge platform such a huge thing that is missing because we're minimizing it to just winning a championship or just making it it into a college and getting a scholarship and doing something else you know it's a means to an end rather than what can we learn from this thing and what, it, what is it doing for us right now? And so I think that that's, that's something that goes into this next question that we have. We ask these last two questions of everybody that we interview. And, and one is, how have you used the lessons you've learned directly from the game in your marriage and your parenting? There's one quote from a book that's the first sentence of the purpose of my life that changed my life. Changed my life. It's like, it's not about, in the game of soccer, it's not about me. It's always about the team. The more I battle for my teammates and they battle for me, the more I love for my teammates and they love for me, the more I do whatever I need to do for us to be successful and you do the same for me, better chances for us to become the best version of ourselves, whatever that may be. 
in my relationship with my bride, it's not about me. I think that's what Jesus says is when we love, love your wives as, as, as Christ should love the church, or Paul says that, just love, 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 love your bride as, as Christ loved the church. It's sacrificially. And when, when my day-to-day life with my bride is lived in a sacrificial way, that I love her, take care of her, we do life together, but it's not about us, but it's, a, it's about a partner, we become better. And as we become better, the ramifications is we can pair it better. We become better mem- uh, we become, we become more, more impactful members in the, in our, in our church community, in our friend community and anywhere we go. So probably that that's the biggest lesson on my mind. Yeah. I love it. Love it. Talk about that all the time with my players. It's not, it's not a, I mean, it's a, it's a weak link sport as well, right? You're only as strong as your weakest link. And we got to raise everyone up to, to that standard. It's not about you. It's about everyone collectively doing what we can do. And, and again, that's most things in life, right? That's us in, in our families, you know, we're, we're together in it, in it, you know? So, all right. Last question. What have you read, watched, or listened to that has most impacted your thinking on how soccer explains life and leadership? That's a big one because I love to read. I love to listen. I love to watch. So there's just so much going on, going on there. I think the most impactful readings that I've done that have, have transformed me as a coach probably over the last eight, nine years are John Gordon books, starting from training camp, going into energy bus and just going all through the process of how my mindset, the change of mindset changes everything. And just the way he writes his books, just, just the, the way I got to write Veritas, it's, it's a fable format and it makes it really easy, easily digestible. And to be able to put those principles into work on the field, first in my life and then on the field has, has, I think caused the biggest amount of impact that I've seen, but then I can go on is it's, I'm doing a deep dive in, in, in Ben Newman's re- teaching and started the eight week cohort with him. So that, that, that's really. That, that's what I'm like in it right now on that's got me super, super extended about li- li- living by a certain standard and not living by feelings. And that, that, that transfers right into, in, into coaching as well. Well, I don't feel like this. I don't feel like that. I don't feel like that. I was like, that's beautiful. You can feel them, but live by your standards because those standards are, are, are going to get you where you want to go rather than the feelings. I can sit here and talk for an hour about all, all that kind of stuff, but probably those yeah. two guys are the people that in, 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 in the most recent amount of time, but I had the most biggest impact in my life. No, all great resources. Paul, you got any last parting words? No, I'm just inspired by, by you and how, how God's leading, leading your life so that you can help lead others. So I just appreciate how intentional you are in that. I'm excited to hear about the success of the seahorses as you guys enter into the season and just appreciate you and, and, and how you do what you do. I appreciate it, Paul. Thank you. Yeah. And I too, thank you so much for being a part of the conversation. Thank you for just taking the time to be with us and sharing the wisdom that God has given you and sharing the book with the world as well. Just grateful for you, Ollie. Thank you. I appreciate it. Just, just a quick note on the book. And I, and I meant to mention it earlier on. Once you finish the book, there's a bonus chapter in the back and the bonus chapter is something you scan. I get to email you the bonus chapter and the bonus chapter is an unapologetic gospel presentation. And the purpose that the book was written that way is for this book to be able to be able to enter any locker room, any level without any restrictions. And if God leads an athlete or another coach who doesn't know Jesus to click on that bonus chapter, get the gospel presentation there and God will the spirit of the God goes there. Yeah. Cool. I love that too, by the way. Yeah. I love that. I figured that's where it was going when I scanned it, got the, got that this morning, actually that quote about that I, that I mentioned about, you know, the, the audience of one kind of the God's affirmation as opposed to people's affirmation came from that bonus chapter as well. Some, some great stuff. Like you said, it is unapologetic and it's just straight up. It's not, that's not in, I mean, it is in fable form, but it's also in just straight up paragraph form, which was great. Basically the presentation you gave this morning, that, that is the one that was given to you, you know, and, and to be able to have that change lives. So I love that and strongly encourage folks Go out, grab it, and use it. Use it in your life and in others. So thanks again, Ali. Appreciate you. I look forward, folks, to hearing your thoughts on this episode. Please reach out to us, whether it's about this episode, whether it's about people that might be good 
to have on this show. I know a people, a couple people at the uh, convention came up to me and said, hey, I'd love to be on the show and, and talked about their story. And we're very likely going to be getting them on the show here pretty soon, which is, which is really cool. If there's other people that you know about that might be good. Please reach out to us. You can just uh, leave a comment, whether it's on social media, whether it is sending us an email. You can just send it to phil at howsoccerexplainsleadership.com. That will get to me and love to, love to interact with you. And also learn about Warrior Way. That's on the show notes. You can go learn about coaching the bigger game, about the disc work that we do. All that's in the show notes. So go check out the show notes as it also has the, the books and everything other resources that we mentioned in this episode. And as always, folks, we hope that everything you're learning from this show, you take it and you use it to be a better player, a better coach, a better spouse, a better parent, better in everything that you do. And continually remind yourself that soccer does explain life and leadership. Thanks a lot. Have a great couple weeks.